Welcome to the HR Happy Hour Network. This is the Inclusion Crusade with me, Sarah Morgan. I am on a mission to create workplaces where employees feel safe, seen, and supported one episode at a time. So we are back with our expert in residence, Charlie Pleasant, LCSW. She don't call her doctor, okay, even though I do from <laughs> time to time. But we are back and we are excited. Well, not excited. Right, right. Oh, gosh. This is some, some BS. But <sighs> we are going to talk about the decision this week. Um, we're coming to you right in May of 2023. And this week, the state of Florida announced that they have passed a law that it goes into effect July 1st of this year, um, saying that public universities can no longer use state or federal funding towards programs that advocate DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, or socio-political activism. Um, and it also bars anything in curriculums that will teach about identity politics or theories of systems of oppression and privilege. And um, just as we were beginning to record today, um, I got a news alert that says Ohio, their state legislature, has um, their state house legislature. So mm -hmm. you all know Congress has two parts. Their state house has moved to create similar legislature, um, mm -hmm. a similar ban in their state, and it now moves to their state Senate and then on to their governor and is expected to pass state Senate, although they don't know what the state governor is gonna do yet. Um, and then also just in kind of background, um, Best Colleges, um, which does, which U.S. News and World Report produces the Best Colleges list, they have mm -hmm. been tracking this um, because it's an important thing for people who are going to college um, and wanting to know whether these programs and um, and curriculums are going to be supported. And so um, they've been keeping track of the other states who have similar legislation. Texas, not a shocker. South Carolina, not a shocker. Um, Louisiana, not a shocker. Um, Tennessee, I was surprised by Tennessee. Arizona was one that surprised me. North Dakota has already, this has already passed their Congress and is moving on to their governor's desk. So it's very possible that North Dakota will pass this ban this year. Missouri, it has passed their house and is moving into their Senate. It is expected um, to die there. Um, and Iowa, um, which Iowa has drafted the legislation but has not been voted on yet. So those are the states where they're making pretty good headway toward doing um, similar things. Um, on the flip side, though, in a little piece of positive news, there are five states that are requiring diversity, equity, inclusion um, training for all of their staff and curriculum, mandatory curriculum for um, its students, where students will have to learn um, the concepts of diversity, equity, inclusion upon matriculating at their institutions. 
Um, and so they have have kind of the opposite legislation. So um, not surprising. Nothing on this list is surprising, actually. <laughs> Calif California, of course, they always act, they always doing that. New York, not a surprise. New Jersey, shout out to my home state, New Jersey, um, not a surprise there either. The state of Washington, not surprising. Um, and Massachusetts, also not a big surprise. They tend to be um, pretty progressive. Um, which is strange given the demographics of their population, but they and, do tend to get it right more than wrong politically. So, and, and I agree. And, I, and and all of this is given like circa 1996 when yeah. the affirmative action bans went into place, where yeah, California and Washington State was the front runners in that. So it's really yeah. interesting to see them course correct mm -hmm. in that way. So there's a lot of I'm sure research about how just the affirmative action bans of those times impacted state colleges and universities because that's where it started. Mm -hmm. So I'm not surprised to hear that both of those um, states are on the list to say, no, we're actually going to require this to be a part of the curriculum yep. for our students because I'm really curious about what they saw in the tracking of that time between, yep. it, of course, it was an impact to admissions around that time. Um, and, and, and how they made that decision to say, no, we're going to course correct this entire thing. And this is what we're actually going to be about. But those were two of the first states when all of this was happening. I think Michigan. Yeah. And what's really funny yeah. is so I remember that because that was right around the time. So I started college in the fall of 95. Mm -hmm. And so that legislation had just passed and was going to be implemented. And um, I had one college in Massachusetts that had accepted me and offered me money to come there. And my mama was like, absolutely not. Right. Um, right. Absolutely. Absolutely not. And I remember a good friend of mine had um, been offered acceptance to Harvard and declined because oh, wow. they had not yet taken a stance. Yeah. on how they were going to, even though it only affected public institutions, they had not yet said, we're not going to follow any of this. They had not taken a stance. And so she went to Princeton. Instead. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I remember, I remember that well at the time yeah. because. And I was coming, I was coming into college in 96. Yep. So that was the big thing, you yep. know? Yeah. So I, it's, it's, it's wild to, at, at this age that we are. Um, to kind of watch this happen all over again. Again, yeah, you know? and I can only—I can't even imagine for our parents' generation, our grandparents' generation, who marched and fought for our ability to be able to attend these institutions without blocking, and who literally were the first to <laughs> enter many of these institutions. My mother um, is a college graduate. She was the first um, class of Black people at her college. There were eight of them in a school of over 3,000. Mm -hmm. um, and she was, was the first in the, the mid to late 1960s. So to go through that integration process. And so the work that they did, the ways that they suffered because being first, it was not fun. <laughs> like they right. were, you know, in a lot of cases, they were not wanted. I mean, we've we've seen the photos and the videos of of the ways that I mean, you, from from children to adults who had things thrown at them, people yelling and screaming at them. Yeah. Um, yep. 
vandalizing their yeah. their their lockers, their property, their persons, <clears throat> um, because they were not wanted. And so for them to have fought so hard to see this progress happen only to have it rolled back um, and then start to make some eradications. And now we're rolling it back once again is, has got to be um, just, it's got to hurt in, in a different kind of, kind of way for them for sure. Yeah, Cause, cause we're only 27 years removed from 96. Mm-hmm. Um, when we saw, when we initially saw all of this happening and it's not, it's, it's really not that long ago. It's, it's not really that long ago. It's not yeah. that long ago. So here we are again. Here, here we, we are. are again. But the question that I want us to, to kick off this conversation about, because this is the inclusion crusade and we're talking about inclusion in workplaces. And so this is very specific around college, um, college funding, college curriculum. Why does this even matter for a podcast, um, a movement? on inclusive workplaces like why is this even a thing for us to be talking about and wanting these list the listeners to be aware of and in the ways that they are working why does this matter I know for me you know my reaction to it initially was really as a parent of children who are at the age where they're making decisions about colleges yes and there's no way that I would would want my children to go to college in any state where this was a law. And so um, that has to be, that's got to be hard. And here's the thing, when we we talk about things like um, these sorts of bans, curriculum related changes that are happening in schools, um, and even school shootings, um, and yeah. school, school place violence. Yeah. The thing that that I find that we forget is that these are workplaces too. Yes. The public college and university systems are major employers in states. I know here in North Carolina, North, um, North Carolina State, the University of North Carolina are two of the largest Systems. employers yeah. in our health systems, you know, and health systems, engineering systems, and education, like they are major, major employers um, yeah. of people within our state. So people work in people work, professors are employees. Yeah. yeah. You know, they work there. Administrators are employees. And and everyone else who provides any sort of support, whether they work in admissions, whether they work on grounds, whether they work in food services, like whatever it is, they are all your know, facilities. Pick a pick an area that they may so be doing. It's, it is all an it's their employer. Absolutely, and, and this is why it matters. Impact. Yeah, and it has to have impact on their level of comfort particularly for in a lot of these instances, these are employees of color. They have to feel a way about the fact that the organization they work for doesn't see value. I mean, 
the governor said that DEI should really stand for discrimination, inclusion, and indoctrination. That that's the real, real acronym, not no, diversity. Exclusion. Exclusion, discrimination, exclusion, and indoctrination is what DEI really means. And that they're not having that and that something along the lines of if, if that's what you want, you should go to school in California or something. Right. And so when you asked the question, I was just sitting here thinking about why does this even matter? And I'm thinking about all of this on a macro scale. So mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm clinical. I'm very micro focused, direct care person. But I'm also as a social worker, I think about it all in ecosystems. Yeah. And I think what's happening here is a really perhaps in this conjecture is a really long game is being played. So the first thing that comes to mind to me when you ask the question of why does this even matter, I think about the power of revisionism and Mm. how if I can rewrite the story, then I can impact the trajectory of generations that's coming afterwards. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean for those who will at some point, whether it be in the state of Florida, if we're talking about the other states that you talked about earlier, what does it mean for the quality of education, the mm-hmm. quality of healthcare, the quality of employees, the quality of students? What does it mean for the quality of those that are going to be, in a few years, going to be um, impacted? In, and I say impact, that might be, not be the word. Influenced is the word. Mm-hmm. That, that are influenced by these DEI bans. No yeah. different than when we saw the bans around sexual health that took yeah. place. So yeah. there's no there. So after a while, you have a generation of people that are moving through that have poor sexual education. Mm-hmm. STD rates are, are at an all time high. People not knowing how to even name parts on their body anatomically correct. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking about short term. This matters yeah. because it's actually happening long term. When you two want to talk about what, what was the acronym he gave? Discrimination, exclusion, and indoctrination. So that's the real piece that's actually happening by not allowing these things to happen, like DE&I, opening up um, conversation around diversity and inclusion. Your end result is going to be the discrimination, the exclusion, um, and, 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 what was, and indoctrination, indoctrination that takes mm-hmm. place. So yeah. it's really interesting how the, it, the word play around that is not because we're getting rid of or not because DEI is in place. Those things that he's saying will happen is because it's not going to be in place. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that wholeheartedly as well, because these are students who are going to move through their the foundational education related to their chosen career and people change careers and and so on and so forth but because and this being public universities that also means medical schools and you know uh what's it called business master's programs and engineering schools like all of that all of that you know plays a part so when you're talking about public universities so that's not going to be able to be a part of the the curriculum in any of those places. So these are individuals who are going to go through advanced training, advanced education, and not understand the history, the full history around any of these 
things and they're going to come into our existing workplaces without that foundational knowledge. And now they're not going to necessarily relate well and be able to speak the language and approach problem solving in the ways that those of us who have that knowledge, who have that element to our education will be able to do. And in my opinion, those individuals are going to be behind. Right. Um, and if I am in charge at of hiring at an organization, I'm scared. I'm scared to hire someone who was educated at a institution that banned them from Mm -hmm. being able to have that kind of knowledge. Because if I have worked on diversity, equity, inclusion in my organization, I have have worked to make this a, a foundational piece of the way in which we operate and to weave it in to everything that we're we're doing so that we are treating people fairly, paying people fairly, partnering um, with intention mm-hmm. and, with a, and with a lens on equity. And now here you come with your little degree from a place that tells you that this is indoctrination, exclusion, and discrimination to think this way. Yeah. I'm scared. I'm scared to bring you into my organization because I've, I've got, you got to catch up yeah. and I, and I'm, I'm moving in a direction. I'm on a trajectory. I ain't got time for you to be catching up. And like, always- I just, I don't understand how, how anyone would think that that's a good thing. Well, I mean, it, it, and, and I really don't have a fast answer for that um, on how anybody can think it's a good thing because it does not feel like a good thing at all. And we know that it's not a good thing. We know that health are, outcomes are better when there's a diverse mm-hmm. pool of anything that's that's there. Mm-hmm. Um, diversity push forwards, uh, it, it pushes forward progression. And innovation. Um, within it, it pushes forward and innovation. Organizations so, that put a lens on equity and inclusion are more profitable. Like all the data is there. All the, all the to, data is there. Go to the Great Place to Work Institute, download their reports. Go to Pew Research, download their reports. All mm-hmm. the information is there. Like we're not going to sit here and regurgitate all the effort. You All the information is there. Now, I... To there are individuals I know, and I've seen this black people, other people of color who are saying, Who cares about these changes? Like, like you can't, like, right, I care, but who, who cares about these changes? Because if you, if you want the knowledge, you can still get the knowledge. No one is saying you, you can buy the book, you can pick up the book. Mm-hmm. The school doesn't stop you from being able to learn those things if that is something that you want to learn. And I'm curious, you've been in academia. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious, what are what's your thought on people who say that, that say, you know, if you want this knowledge, um, you can get it. So it doesn't matter whether, and I will say, you know, for myself, I've learned far more about the history of Black people in America and and of other brown people in America and the world 
from outside my classrooms than I have from inside my classrooms. So I know that that's true. Yeah. yeah. However, I also, there were also things that I was exposed to inside of my classrooms that, that piqued my curiosity enough to get me to do some of that outside reading that if it hadn't been there, I don't know that I would have been curious to do those things on my own. So I'm wondering you having, again, having been in academia, like what is your reaction to that thought process? That's like, Hey, the knowledge is there. Yeah. Like we're not going to pay for it for you. We're not going to give it to you, but it doesn't stop you from going on Amazon and buying the book or going to, you know, whatever other place Mm -hmm. and getting the book. Um, if that is something that you want, if you want, you can walk, if your professor read the book on their own and has it on the shelf in their office, it doesn't stop you from saying, Hey, professor, can I borrow that? If that is in you to want that knowledge anyhow. So I feel like the the answer to that question is already kind of embedded in what you shared. So it's a few things. Mm-hmm. So if, if there's, if number one, when I hear a comment like that, that no one's stopping you from actually going to get this information on its face. Yes, that is absolutely true. And kind of no, right? Because we're, we, we, we're seeing a large move of book bands, number one, mm-hmm. that's back mm-hmm. again, that, that those things. So we're talking about the physical extraction of the stuff that we can freely go get being extracted as well. Too. Right. So we're talking about an issue of access um, or lack thereof. And I will um, say too that, this type of legislation also impacts the ability for libraries to have these resources within them as well. So if it's banned at the university, then the university's library can't hold the book for me to go check it out if I want it. That's right. That's right. And when I hear people ask, or when, when, when I think about that question being asked, when they say um, that you can freely go get this information, we're not going to pay for you to actually get it at a college or a a state college or university. That is under the assumption that only white dollars circulate colleges and universities Mm -hmm. and that my dollar is not of value because when you say we, I'm also paying taxes as well too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So so when when, when it's that standpoint of I'm not going to pay, you're assuming that this this money actually belongs to you when the money actually belongs to the people that Mm -hmm. are of diverse communities and culture and I think that we miss that in that we're not going to pay for it what I hear is non-people of color white folks saying I'm not I'm not gonna pay for it I'm not I don't want to pay for that I don't want to pay for this but your dollar is not the only dollar that's in the pool Mm -hmm. and so I I, so I, I find that I find that to be really um it's really offensive and it's dismissive just like the perspective is offensive and dismissive yeah yeah. That, that's that's how I feel about that. Um, to your point, you also mentioned that if it wasn't for certain college courses that we might have had, it would have we might not have had the peaking of interest mm-hmm. into looking into other things. And I feel that very much so. Even in my, um, I was a political science um, undergrad at VCU, um, and I mattered in women women and gender studies. But it was my matter in women and gender studies that fueled every other piece. Mm-hmm. Of stuff that of literature and maybe journals or or, or 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 just it it opened up so much more than mm-hmm. what DeSantis is saying it would be possibly a classical 
you know, foundation of what, how did, how did he put that? A classical mission of what the university is supposed to be. And what quote, does unquote. that mean? So, 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 so that's really interesting. But what, uh, again, it says, but there's nothing wrong with the, he's quoted saying, there's nothing wrong with that per se, but for us with our tax dollars, again, mm-hmm. ownership of money that honestly does not belong to, belong you. to you. It belongs to the people. Right. It belongs to the people. We want to focus on classical mission of what the university is supposed to be. So I'm really interested in having him clear that up. But but that's neither here. No, it is here. So but that's another another <laughs> conversation that we can go into. But um, you're right. If, if, if we're not having the conversations, you don't even know that there's a conversation to be had around. Yeah. Yeah. And so you and don't I- know. It's it's a it's an introduction. It's a gateway. Universities have always experienced it. It's it's a portal to to open up a vastness of 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 uh, just a treasure trove of things that I would not have known coming straight out of high school. I just would not have known those things. So we lose that. We lose the we lose context. Mm-hmm. So yes, we can go maybe to a public library, maybe to our, our college libraries at this point and pick up those things. But if you're not discussing this thing within community and within context, right. a lot of that is, uh, is left open to interpretation. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is left open to interpretation and it takes away the ability and the skill that I feel like that we have moved away from so much in this, in, in this society is critical thinking in perspective and in, in mm-hmm. just in 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 the silence of being with information that's new yeah and one of, i read a quote from one of the democrat um democratic state level senators in florida who said this feels like a movement to tell people to teach people what to think instead of teaching them how to think, how to think. And, and allowing them to make their own decisions while they're saying they want classical education is actually like less access to information actually flies in the face of achieving what it is that they're saying that they want to achieve. And right. I, I agree um, right. with that. And one of the things that you and I talked a little bit about in pre-show as we were preparing for this conversation you said, like, how does this impact the people who are there now? And I know for myself, I can't imagine how difficult that must be to um, be a professor, to be a student, or to be a worker in some support capacity at one of these public colleges and universities, knowing that this is coming. I am worried about, I'm worried about my job because inevitably this is probably going to push some people to go elsewhere for school, which is sad because I want, you know, part of of going to public colleges and universities is the cost savings that you as a resident achieve um, towards your education by, I live in this state and I'm going to go to a school that's funded by the tax dollars of this state. So I lose that if I go to out of state or if I go to a private institution um, at a time where student student debt, student loan debt and so mm-hmm. forth is crippling people <laughs> and, and hurting not, you know, the, the cost of that is not helping our economy. Right. And then um, 
if I'm a professor, do I want to continue to work in a place that will not, particularly if I'm of color or and, or a woman, because let's keep it real, um, white women, you next. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry to break it to you, but if they're banning um, the things that talk about systemic oppression, privilege, and identity politics, that includes feminism. So yeah. you want to chop and block too. So if you haven't already figured that out. And, and, um, and just as we talked about in pre-show coming in again on the North Carolina doing the uh, 12 month ban on the abortion. Ban. Yeah, right. The so ban we were seeing self. that legislation pop up all over the country. So yeah, it's, it's, it's almost like it's pecking up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if we don't, yeah. And, it, and the problem with that is that if we don't catch it early, you know, the least of these, if, if we don't see, and we, and we say this all the time about the ways that the majority comes for the minority and tries mm-hmm. to roll, comes at their rights and tries to roll those things back. That if mm-hmm. we, if the rest of us don't go, oh, uh-uh, and step in for the smaller communities within our, our disenfranchised communities, if we don't step then ain't nobody going to be there to step up for us. Right. Because right. we, like, all, we all going to be, yeah, who's left? Because we all have rights. So yeah. It's much better when we, you know, we're much better when we come together collectively and fight. But yeah, I wonder about like the impact of that um, as a workplace, because the study uh, studies, again, have shown when workplaces don't have lens on systems of oppression, mm-hmm. on, on diversity, equity and inclusion then what you begin to see is inequities in the ways that people are paid. Um, You see quite a bit of microaggression in the ways that people are communicated with because Mm -hmm. people don't have, they're not accountable and they're not exposed to the the proper ways, the better ways um, to communicate in ways that, that don't cause harm to other individuals. And so when we remove that, because they're not gonna allow a diversity, equity, inclusion office that is going to be responsible for, you know, training and holding people accountable. So if we remove that, then we're left with this free for all where Mm -hmm. we're not being kind yeah and we're and we're not being aware of the ways in which we can can cause harm to people yeah. in in what it is that we're talking about and and and, and I think that's, that that's that's, that's a big right. piece that's always missing that I feel that's missing in this conversation because a lot of a lot of this is also about accountability in mm-hmm. in, in a demographic of of individuals who have issue with being held accountable not per se with what they may or may not be doing in current times. Um, but this is around accountability as well, too. So if I can, mm-hmm. if I can get the, if I can get the magical eraser and, 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 and just begin to erase all of this out, then I never have to be an account mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. I never have to give an account or I can have the hand that does these other that things the that happen. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, this is, this is also about accountability. Here's what what bothers me about that, though, that I don't feel like we talk about enough. And that is the amount of wasted 
resource that happens because we make the same mistakes, poor decisions, poor decisions, they're not mistakes. Yeah. And that lead to errors and, and problems. We make those same poor decisions over and over again because we don't take the time to understand the historical evolution of the issue and and the context of those things. The um on my other podcast, Leading in Color, I did I just finished an interview um, and posted an interview with Kat Kibben, who is a recruitment marketing um, specialist and um, also a um, LGBTQIA plus advocate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they talked about a research study that they did that specifically was focused on the ways that job ads have been used through history. Yeah. How, we, how we advertise for employment um, and how that has changed and evolved. And shocker, job ads don't appear un- in, in the U.S., until the, about the 1940s and they were used um, coming off of the depression to say all the people who weren't allowed to apply. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we got jobs here, none of this, none of this, none of this, shocker, you know, don't apply if you this, 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 and this. You start to see education begin as a requirement begin to creep in post-war as a way to exclude poor people, Black people, poor Mm -hmm. white people, Black Mm -hmm. people, other people of color. So it's always been the evolution of it, where it started and the evolution of it has always had oppression and exclusion in its midst. Right. And yet, we just, you know, regurgitate that same process over and over again. And without inspecting it, we assume that it was created with, at the very least, neutral intention, right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. We don't think, we, we, we don't assign bad intentions. So we just assume that it was created at the very least with neutral intention, sure. only to find out that it never was. It was never neutral it was never good and it It was very intentional from the moment it showed up its intention was to exclude in a bad way in this context if i am a marketing student if i am a student of human resources management and i'm taking a course in recruitment um or if i'm taking a, a marketing class and i'm taking a course in how in employment marketing, because that's a that's a real field where you can make a lot of money these days. That's never taught. Right. And so I go out into the world. It, again, if nothing piques my curiosity for me to look this information up in, on my own, I go out into the world assuming that the ways that it's always been done, the historical context of it is at the very least neutral, if not positive. Mm-hmm. And then I replicate that system and approach on not knowing that it was meant to exclude from its it, inception. 
And I and I love how you're you're just taking your time and nuancing this because that there, Sarah, is how systemic things stay in place. Yes. With that neutrality and that that not knowingness that can be perceived as very innocent because mm-hmm. of the exclusion of certain information. Mm-hmm. When 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 we get into the place of the replication of something, yes. yes. It's being done from a place of out of out of the awareness that there are other mm-hmm. things that needs to and, be taken into consideration and that's how that system stays intact. When we don't because in again in in what this law says that curriculums cannot teach theories through the lens of oppressive systems and privilege, right? So I am, if I'm a professor, I, I am violating the law if, by, if I teach my students to examine these systems this way, even if that examination leads a student or leads a, into conversation about the fact that this is oppressive. I'm I'm in I'm in danger. And how do I, as a professor, teach my students to think and follow the just follow the logical just, conversation? Just follow the conversation. Right. With that lingering over me, that that in and of itself feels limiting and oppressive. It is. And here's the thing I tell people about systems all the time when we have um because I inevitably doing DEI work you know this you're gonna hear people tell you that the system is broken systems don't break they glitch they glitch but they don't break and when I say that what I mean is whatever the system produces most consistently is what it was intended designed to, to do to produce that's right what it what it produces on occasion is the glitch mm-hmm. you and i are the glitch yeah white cis hetero wealthy men are the system that's mm-hmm. what the system is intended to produce it's not intended to produce excellence out of people who look like you and me we the glitch sure it, and it, we use air quotes with that because we are that. by no means I ain't nobody's glitch. malfunctioning. Okay. Yeah. You know I ain't malfunctioning. When, when we think about glitching, we thinking about something malfunctioning. And, yeah. and by no means am I saying any anyone of us mm-hmm. identified the bad pop or or just outside of dominant no. culture. We no, are no. not. We are not. Again, we use glitching air quotes. Yeah. But we are very. And I always think yeah. about you know because I I love um I like movies and television and things like that and I always think about Wreck It Ralph and um. Penelope Von Vliet, the little character in Wreck-It Ralph, um, who was in her video game, a glitchy character. Mm-hmm. And nobody wanted to play with her because she was a glitch. But in actuality, it was someone sabotaging the code to prevent her from winning because she, in the original design, she was supposed to be the dominant character. Ooh, that'll preach. Okay. I just was about to say that. I was just like, wait, that's why my lips got tight over here. I was just like, yes. oh. Because, and, and, I, and, 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 and it lands, it, it checks 
because when we think about ourselves globally and not mm-hmm. in the United States, we are the global majority. Yeah. Yeah. There are we are the global in the we world. We are the global majority. We are people of color than, than anything else. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful, y'all, y'all go back and rewind that. The Take system that, was being, it back. Yeah, 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 run the, that the again. The code was manipulated. The code I saw was a manipulated. Thing on, um, I saw a thing on Instagram. It was a, a woman. It was a, a reel. And you see this Black woman walking across the street and people are um, looking at her um, as she's walking because she looks fantastic. And Oh, is this the system with like the big hair, the fro? Yeah, and, and then oh, the, you hear the voiceover that says, are you from Africa? And she even said, no, but I was supposed to be. Yeah. Like, it's that, like, you have to remember, like, oh, you, you look like an African goddess. Are you from Africa? She was like, no, but I was supposed to be. But I was like, supposed to be. the thing that, you know, we lose sight of and we have to, that we can't forget that yeah. the, we were an entire thriving society long before. Colonization, colonization imperialism, and all and, of it. And all of that. And that, that centuries before anything here in America that that we know of even really existed we were over there thriving and doing our thing like and we it it is dangerous to me to hear anyone say that we want to not teach and talk about the history of our nation our state our world, whatever. Like the most um, appreciative thing I have about my education, particularly when I was in high school, mm-hmm. are my religion and history. I went to Catholic school, so we have religion class. Religion and history teachers, because they made sure to consistently add to, even though it wasn't a part of the standard curriculum of our archdiocese, they made sure to add to our curriculum to let us know what was going on. Okay, this is what was happening in U.S. history, but here's, and meanwhile, over in China, over in Africa, on the India continent, like this is what was happening everywhere else, and here's how it was impacting what we were doing. Mm -hmm. And while this was happening this is the high level view of what was going on in America. This is what the experiences were that women were having, that black people were having, that indigenous people were having, that immigrants from here, 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 and here were having in this moment. It trained us from at, at a time when we were just beginning to explore the world yeah. to interrogate what else is happening like it's not just about me and my experience that there everybody that other people are having experience too at the same time and that that experience matters and that if I want to be a whole complete contributing citizen I got to think of all of that yeah and that shaped shaped me and I can you know and I feel like I can speak for the other women who went to school with me, like that shaped us greatly. Yeah. And I see it in us in the work that we all are doing today. Yeah, And I can't imagine someone swooping in and saying, nah, nah, you can't, you're not allowed to, to you're not allowed to know that. Right. You're not a, and you're not allowed to 
and you can discuss it, but only up to this up to this point. And 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 I want our tax dollars being used on such not right, right, right. And oh God, which is just so just so much. And and I'm I'm trying to remember. I I don't remember being greatly influenced in school that way. Maybe a few teachers that I did have. I had a few teachers in that way. But my entry point to pique my curiosity looked a lot different. That that journey Mm -hmm. was a lot different. Mine came through hip hop. Mine came through the music. And what and, and and particularly in 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 that time period, I'm you know, 70s baby. So I got a lot of the 80s, 90s. So I mean, I got the infancy where mm-hmm. nobody was really paying attention to what was being taught. So things were actually some things, great things were actually being referenced yeah. during that time. You know, I mean, things that's just like, mm, what is this book about? Oh, what is this? Mm-hmm. Oh, so or even is, just the dropping of names of different people yes. of the history, and yes. you're like, who is that? And well, then- who and and who is that? Who is that? Mm-hmm. Is enough to just go? And and you know, it wasn't that we had these devices. Like we're no, she, we didn't have phones. We, we, we didn't even have. We, we were in card catalogs and encyclopedias. That's a card get, catalog. Oh my god, we were. In, right, I, I mean, you're right. We, we oh were card god. catalogs. We had to really go research and find out. We was in the Dewey Decimals. We, we was in the Dewey Decimal System. Return this book in two weeks. Get this stamp mm-hmm. in this book because it was purple, right? Yeah. Um, and so we really had to be, I'm, and, and even thinking about it in that way, we had to be really, really intentional yeah. about what we went to go find as, as far as information was concerned yeah. because we didn't have held hand devices that mm-hmm. we can just do a quick Google search or a search engine what search. Is this? Yeah. Like, like I could, was, there, there was times, none of that. And I there are times where I will be sitting and watching a show on TV and be like, that person looks familiar. And then I will Google their name while I'm still watching the show. And I can Google their name, look at their IMDb and scroll through it and figure out where I've seen them before. And mm-hmm. nine times out of 10, it's either an old episode of Grey's Anatomy or old episode of, of the Law and Order chat. If listen, I kind of don't respect you as and like I feel like you didn't hone your craft properly if you ain't thank you on an episode of Law and Order or Grey's Anatomy. That's just me. I kind I kind of don't. I kind of don't. And I know it's 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 Grey's Anatomy, Law and Order, and Castle. I have seen yeah, like I got to like you. I got to have seen you somewhere, you know. And what's hilarious is for both of them, a lot of them have been on the opposite yeah. show. Like mm-hmm. most of the cast of Grey's Anatomy was on one of the, one or both. Long of the other show. You know, and Law yeah. Order, Special Victim. Girl, Chadwick Boseman was on, on one okay. of the Yes. Yeah, he was on Law and Order. On I Law and that. Order, that's one, yes. that's one of my favorite episodes. Yes, Foster indeed. Heath with the with the one good eye. That's right. He had on, he had a bad eye and everything. He was active. Like mm-hmm. there are so many, yeah, people who just got their start there. But I can look at someone and go, I seen them. Like, where did I see them before? And a lot of times it it'll be some random show that I watch and I'm like, oh yeah, okay. They was the such and such, or I'll pick up somebody's face and I'll be like, that's so they like the fact that I have the ability to do that right in the palm of my hand is just amazing. Yeah. We didn't have that within if we wanted to know who somebody was, you might have one friend whose family had the encyclopedias 
because everybody couldn't afford that. Everybody, and you got at least one or two at a time. Right. Everybody couldn't afford that. Um, and have a whole full set, like you was doing something. You was or really you, balling. You really had to go to the library and be intentional about the research that you yeah. were doing, which now makes sense as to why I spent so much time in the library as yeah. a as a tween and teen. I was yeah. I was probably at the library once once a, a few times a month. But just think about even the context of us having this conversation and the ways in which we had to slow down life. I mean, life was a lot slower back then in in, in that way of as far as, you know, excavating, you know, research and knowledge. Mm-hmm. In in the face of the conversation that we're even having today, look at the, the skill that's being lost. Yeah. Because yeah. we don't want to even fund or we're taking this really, we're bending this art so far one way. Yeah. Like the, the, and and and, I and think it's that all based in fear. It's based and in it's fear. All based in fear of losing power, of losing control, and of of somehow being erased, or, or of not being erased. But the narrative about you doesn't have the same celebratory, right. Um, celebratory theme under it that right. has had all of this time and here's the here's the honest truth right it, and it's something that I have learned like everybody has good and bad to them nobody is all one, one thing. thing yes so whether it is our the the early leaders of our nation who also held slaves and you know who had ran plantations had mm-hmm. hundreds of enslaved people on them mm-hmm. or um or had children by those enslaved I mean Thomas Jefferson kept a teenage black girl in a little bitty room off his bedroom he had a sex worker for mm-hmm. all intents and like he did he held her hostage she she was in like sally that's not a love story she was in prison yeah she was a child (laughs) like like and 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 he also wrote the declaration of independence and moved our nation forward in important ways like we gotta let go of this idea that those two things can't be true and exist at the same in because the same, they indeed are because they already do yeah they already do we just not talking about them i remember um earlier this year on president's day someone at work had posted a meme about um george washington and it was something about like george washington chopped the cherry tree and used the wood for his teeth and i was like actually no no that's those, not it that's not what had happened yeah. those were the teeth of that they, they were commissioned from the enslaved. That's from the enslaved. And living. And living. Yeah, they pulled the teeth out their mouth and made yes. dentures for him. Several sets. So it's not like it just happens. He had horrible eating habits. He, like me, liked sugar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he liked the sugary snacks. Mm-hmm. And he was burning through dentures. See. And he tried, and, and to his credit, he tried to use 
traditional, the traditional dentures of the time and kept ruining them. And also because he was in leadership meeting with heads of state, other countries, and they, it wasn't a good look like to not have real teeth in your mouth. And so this was the solution that his people came up with. That's, that's facts. That's facts. And right. that can be true. And he still have been a great military commander and a great commander in chief as, as the first president of our nation like that. Those two things exist. They did exist in mm-hmm. the same human being. And we should be able to learn and speak freely about that. The same so- way we should about every major, you know, politician, legislation, moment in history. There are yeah. good, there's always going to be good, good and bad things existing at the same time. And, 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 and that's okay. And I, I struggle with understanding why we struggle as a society so much with that as as existing and we we put things on these like pedestals and we paint these narratives that can only be one thing and then we're destroyed somehow when it doesn't prove to be true and I just don't understand why that is well and and I I, I grapple with this on a, on a lesser level in, even in my clinical practice, when I'm working with, mm-hmm. in direct care with clients, and I talk a lot about and doing a lot of cognitive reframing around multiple things being true at one time. So, I mean, you're right. You're right on with that. The reason I, I think the reason why we struggle around what 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 if we're only putting things certain pieces of history, because I also think about this when we talk about the about legacy as well too and we, we mm-hmm. can have a conversation maybe that's for another episode the good stuff isn't the only part of the story that that's that's legacy mm-hmm. it's the trash stuff as well too yeah and it yeah. becomes a struggle when you only do it becomes incomplete and incoherent when you only put one piece forward just like it is when i'm working with my clients it's mm-hmm. not until you move into a space when you're able to work with the shadows or the dark things mm-hmm that we start moving towards integrating ourselves as a whole because Mm -hmm. it's all a part of who we are. This will always be a lopsided and a struggle. There's gonna always be resistance because there's a refusal refusal of integrating it all. Yeah, yeah. If it's because one side is missing the piece of the other thing. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And so it's gonna always be incoherent energy. It's always gonna be Mm. things going to feel lopsided it's going to always be resistance because there's a refusal to bring it full circle mm-hmm. and this does not help this does not help at all Th- this does I not help back any to of this. the olympics in rio and how when they did their um opening game ceremony there was a probably 10 minute moment within that performance where they, there was a moment at the beginning where they honored the indigenous heritage of the land. There was, mm-hmm. a, and they, and they did this through dance and movement of like um, almost caricature, cartoony type of things, but it was a part of the performance and they had honored that they, 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 explored colonization and imperialism and the impact of that. They explored 
their moments and their participation in enslavement and the slave trade. And, and then they celebrated the fact that they figured it out and, and did better and moved forward as a society, even though they still have their struggles. Mm-hmm. But the fact that on the world's stage, in a moment where it really isn't, for lack of a better word, politically correct to mm-hmm. acknowledge that this is a part of the history of your land and something that you that as we open the Olympic Games, mm-hmm. the world mm-hmm. comes together, that this is something that you, we want you to know as a as a part of our history as we welcome you into our land was so big. And so many, and there were people who were very uncomfortable with it, like, ooh, daughter, but overall it was, and and the leaders of Brazil was like, yeah, we did it because we felt it was important because we're not going to shrink from the fact that this is just as much a part of our history as anything else. And I was mm-hmm. like, yo, that is so, and then I remember in the next breath thinking America would never. Hmm would never we would we would rather have the olympic games be hosted somewhere else if the olympic committee was like in order for you to host the games you got to do what rio did like let's let oh my god you got to when i tell you it won't be called the olympics it'll be sponsored by we all got to do what rio did you have to part of your opening ceremony performance has to acknowledge the indigenous people of your land the ways in which you abused, mistreated the indigenous people to colonize and imperialize the land. You have to acknowledge any practices of enslavement um, and how that was eliminated and how you moved mm-hmm. forward and any other major hiccups in your, your, your nation's history. That has to be included in the opening ceremony performance in order for your nation to host the Olympic Games. Like if that became a requirement, you would never see the Olympic, we would never bid again. It, they'll see you, they'll, they'll say, they'll send a message back to see you in another four to eight years, somewhere else. Because the trajectory again. that we're going right now indicates that that is an inability of of of, of any of this. And, and, I, and again, I'm a systems person. I work in systems in my work. I'm trained as a social worker in that way. And the incoherency and the polarization and the lack of integration, what we're seeing in society is deeply, deeply, deeply connected to individuals and how they, this is nothing but a projection of what a, a demographic of people are experiencing. Yeah. Yeah. A polarization, lack of integration and unwillingness to look at the shadows of mm-hmm. their own lives. Mm. And, and if I can make so the world look, if I can make the world look like the things that I refuse to deal with in my personal life, then I can justify my way of being in the world. Ooh. This as a, as a clinician, this is how I look at all of this. Mm-hmm. I would much rather, to your point about the Olympic games, I would much rather try to change the art and progress of society than mm-hmm. to look at my own stuff. And if I have the it's means, true. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And if I have the so means sad. to do it, then I will change the, I will bend the hand of the rest of this nation mm-hmm. in order to justify my inability to integrate the light and dark of my life. 
So this is this question, is an outward projection of that. Yeah, yeah. And I I agree and I see it. And my question becomes as we look wrap this episode up, what do we do? You as you know, if if you're taking this, because you deal with this as a as a clinician and also in the you know, in all of the work that you do, you're dealing with this. And what so this this is now in effect you you essentially the state of Florida is your, is a client who is is failing to address girl what do you do do you kick them out your office what do you do with them oh what my god I have never that just put that that just put so much pressure on my chest right I can't imagine so the state of Florida being my client right with like imagine yes. the state of Florida is a person who shows up in your office with these issues oh my gosh that, how that, do how do we heal that not only for the person but also I'll say the the family system and and the you know the people that 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 impacts as a whole because that person has to go out into the world and interact. So Florida it, it has to interact with these now these colleges and universities. We don't know what the plan is for how they're going to implement this. Stay tuned. Um, because, yeah, and I'm not in. To be honest, they might not even know. Right. That. Um, which is not uncommon when laws get passed. They're like, oh, we did this. Well, now what? And then well, now they, what? Because there's no plan, plan in place to even. Right. And they plop yeah. it in on the administrators and the municipalities and so forth to figure it out on their own. So, yeah. And the um, employees as well, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it, I'm trying to figure out how I go forward with this. What do I do? Um, and what do what do the rest of us do? as we try to figure out how best to interact with this weird, non-functional, in-denial entity yeah. that, that is around. What do we do? I, I, I'm just sitting here and I'm, I'm almost flabbergasted because I am just really just stuck with the notion of Florida as being my client. <laughs> and, 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 and just how heavy of a lift that, that would be. be emotionally. So you would have to pay me well, number one. Uh, and I mean, sufficiently well. Ain't enough. Ain't enough. It, it ain't enough. in the world. It's, it's, it's not, a, it's, it's not enough. Right. Um, I would have to be sufficiently compensated. Um, if I'm looking at it through the lens of how I practice my therapy work, um, with my clients, I'm a, I'm a internal family systems trained therapist. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at, a lot of what is coming up in a lot of the bands. If I'm looking mm -hmm. at it from an IFS lens, I'm looking at the bands that mm -hmm. are going on as how we talk about it in, in, in IFS world as the protectors. Mm -hmm. And how I'm trained in that, in that modality is to befriend, to get to know, and to validate. Mm -hmm and find out the function and the fears of said protectors. Because mm. what we know about protectors is that they protect something that's very vulnerable and very tender. Mm. Yeah. So if I'm looking at the state of Florida as my client, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's, that is such a wild notion. Mind blower. Mind blower. And I'm, and I'm looking at it how I practice as a clinician. I'm really curious about what's the fear 
or what's the concern? The question that I would ask is what's the fear or what's the concern do you believe state of Florida might happen if you do not enact these bans? Mm. If we did not have this very restrictive legislation, which I would see in the IFS lands as protectors, mm-hmm. what are you afraid would happen if these things aren't in place? Because what, as a clinician, what I want to get behind is who are you protecting? What are you protecting? Because that's the part that needs to be healed and unburdened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so what we know about protectors is that, and, and it came up in a, in a, in a recent training that I'm, I'm doing, uh, that I'm PAing for. Um, protectors are good at the jobs that they do, mm-hmm. but they're not good at healing anything. Mm-hmm. So what we know, if I'm looking at the state of Florida or any other place that's, that's putting in these type of restrictive type of things, is that it might be good at what it does momentarily. But it's not going to solve the problem that you think that it's going to solve for you. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't know how, the and what we know about protectors in the system, if I'm looking at it from an IFS lens, is that they don't, they, they aren't, they have good intentions, which is really hard to say in the same sentence same as a Florida, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm looking at it from a clinical lens. They have good intentions but they don't know how destructive they are being and what they're doing. Our anger alone can't solve the problem. It's the, you know, hate can't drive out, hate only love can do it. And so we have to tap, and it's not easy, just like you said, like, I can't even believe I got to say this out loud, but we have to tap into the, the empathy for the fear that's dry, that's underneath all of that in order to raise that individual or organization's level of awareness enough mm-hmm. to, because it's all fear, right? It's all, all, at the end of the day, all of this resistance, all of these bans, all of these rollbacks is all fear. What is the fear? What is the fear? And is it even, you know, one of the things that I've learned in my own therapy is to interrogate my fears like Mm -hmm. this is this should I even be afraid of this thing and this is the this is the thing that's so great about being a human is the fact that our this this thing in my head this brain has the ability to interrogate itself there's and no nobody else has that like no other living species has that whatever it whatever it feels it goes with it. That's why animals are so spastic. Humans can have a thought and go, do I really think that? That's right. And have and without ever speaking out loud, have a whole conversation inside this little brain to decide oh, I don't think that actually what I think is this, and then act accordingly. And so that the ability to like interrogate that when you have particularly when you have fear is is one of the most important things for us to like function and try and master if we can Mm -hmm. and we forfeit that when we just completely ban stuff yeah we forfeit our ability to and to confront the fear to interrogate it to heal it Mm -hmm. and to move forward from it 
as a better version of ourselves when and, we refuse to do that. And that's what's happening. That's with, exactly what's with happening. Florida. And, and so if I'm looking again from a clinical lens and from an IFS perspective, when we have those bands of those protectors that are in place and in the way that all of these things, the way that we're throwing it up as society, what we end up doing is covering our greatest resource, which is ourselves. Right. And, 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 and the energy that we have to actually move things forward, to move things towards a place or a paradigm or a shift towards healing. So I am, I, I feel like I'm going to just have to sit with Florida being my client. That just, that just messed me up a little bit. That just, <laughs> that, that, that just really just kind of rocked my socks for a minute. Yeah. But, um, but all of this, all of, all of this is um, worth explanation um, or worth exploring. And to you, to what you mentioned earlier, Sarah, we don't have any answers on how any of this is going right. to be enacted at this point. But we do know that, at, at least in my perspective, I believe that this things of this nature only work but for so long mm -hmm. because they doesn't know the flip side of how the impact that it comes yeah. with, with, when things like this are enacted. And I love, um, you know, what you said about protectors are great at protecting, but they're bad at healing. Mm -hmm. And what we we need, what we need more than anything is healing. It's is healing. Is to emerge from this whole and integrated and able to to move forward as a better version of ourselves than than we were in the past. And that yeah. is true for us as individuals, is true for organizations, is true for our governments, it's mm -hmm. true for the systems that operate all of those things. And so yeah. the challenge to to the listening audience as you are seeing what's happening in Florida as if you are in one of these other states that we listed to make sure that you are in touch with your legislatures to say that this is not send them this episode tell them this is not something that they um want to do where they are um yeah. and but also you know within the organizations it, when you start to see the rollbacks and the resistance to the inclusion work that the organization has done, or when you get to a place where the organization says, all right, that's enough. We've, yeah. We feel like we've gone far enough. Um, you have to, the question is, is there, is there, has healing happened? Like, have we created a, a space where, where healing and wholeness and full integration has happened? And, and are those who we know are neg traditionally negatively impacted by these policies, laws, et cetera, um, mm -hmm. are they no longer in danger right. of, of that kind of impact? And if the answer to those things is no, you still got work to do. We still got work to do. We still got work to do. Yeah. And don't stop. Don't stop until the answer it is yes for you as an individual and for the the organizations that you lead and that you're responsible for yeah and then just in society as a whole just being a productive citizen in that way mm -hmm. yeah, yeah a sure. responsible citizen well and on that note we are going to wrap this episode we thank you so much for listening to the hr happy hours inclusion crusade i want to thank once again our expert in residence charlie pleasant for being with us to talk through these complex issues and to put that therapy hat on um, so, so that we can humanize 
these issues even more because the more that we're able to do that, the more that we can see to the heart and the healing of that. Yeah. And that is, is truly, truly important. So I thank you all for listening. Thank you. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.